Hello, I am your host Jake, and this is the Knights of the Round Table podcast. This week's episode is going to be specified on the Great Exhibition of 1851 in London, which saw a tremendous turnout and a great display of British culture and what is truly meant to be British in Victorian England. The Great Exhibition of 1851 saw grand displays, with buildings that included the likes of the Crystal Palace, which then became the name of a district in London, which was formerly named Sydenham Hill, that has its own Premier League football team. The Crystal Palace was so prominent in the Great Exhibition that some referred to this event just as the Crystal Palace Exhibition. The dimensions of the Crystal Palace really show just how massive it was. It stood at 1,848 feet long, 72 feet wide, and 128 feet high. In this podcast, I'm going to explore how influential the Great Exhibition was and how effective it was at portraying Britain's industrial and overall strength in the world. I will also explore the fears and controversies of the Great Exhibition before and during its duration. The first process of the Great Exhibition involved the marketing and advertising of this World Fair to the entire world. Great Great Britain offers a hospital invitation to all the nations of the world to collect and display the choicest fruits of their industry in her capital, wrote Henry Cole in the first paragraph of the official catalog. What Great Britain wanted to make clear to everyone was that anyone that could pay to get in would be welcome. Whether you came from the United States or China, Great Britain was opening its arm to the world and letting them engage in this fair that would take place in London. The planning for the Great Exhibition started in 1850, when Queen Victoria announced a commission that's purpose was to create what would be known as the Great Exhibition of 1851. The commission was broken up into subcommittees that consisted of members of the commission, but they would be involved in more specialized tasks that each member was more familiar with. What we do know is that this committee would eventually show great success, as this world exhibition would show record numbers for an exhibition and would lead to great profits for Great Britain. However, this was not going to be a smooth process, just as they say, Rome was not built in a day, and this exhibition was going to take a little over a year to meticulously plan to make sure that everything was going to go smoothly, so that more exhibitions like this could happen. The two biggest obstacles that the planners had to overcome was first, selling this idea of a grand exhibition to the public, and to also get the funding needed for this grand display. An exhibition of this size had never been done before, and more importantly, exhibitions before didn't openly advertise for the world to come view their display. Other countries like France did not display their exhibitions to the world because of fear of foreign competition and lower prices. Mainly, other countries were scared of letting Great Britain into their exhibitions because in this time, Great Britain was an industrial powerhouse mass, producing various goods and selling them at a fraction of the price to competitors. This is the main reason that other countries did not want foreigners involved in their exhibitions because they didn't want Great Britain to quote-unquote ruin it with their lower prices and industrial might. France actually had such successful exhibitions during the Napoleonic era that their exhibitions continued well after the Napoleonic Wars were over because the French citizens enjoyed going to these exhibitions so much. And these events saw profits and overall, the great atmosphere led to people wanting to see more events like this. 
Unlike the French exhibitions, which only saw French attendees and exhibitors, half of all exhibits of the Great Exhibition were non-British, with 1,760 exhibits being French. Alas, the Great Exhibition was promised to be one of the major events of a generation, and the funders quickly donated their money, with, great, with Queen Victoria contributing money herself. The main attraction of this event was the Crystal Palace, and as the sheer size of this building was mentioned for, for before, it could be seen from far away. The Crystal Palace was designed by Sir Joseph Paxton. Now, why am I putting an emphasis on the size of the Crystal Palace? It can easily be known that the British wanted to show off their strength and overall power in the world. What better way to do this by creating a large-scale, mainly glass building that was to host visitors from all over the world. The Crystal Palace was designed to show how great British innovation truly was, showcasing a building that the world had never seen before. When palaces host a world fair like the Great Exhibition was, they always make the main marketing point a building that had never been seen before as the main attraction for people to visit. This is the case for the Eiffel Tower. The Crystal Palace and after the Crystal Palace showcased the exhibits in the summer of 1851, it became standard to have glass conservatories to be the main convention center for future world fairs. There were glass conservatories for the world fairs in Dublin in 1852, in New York in 1853, and in Munich, Germany in 1854. One can easily see how influential the Crystal Palace was by looking at how it set the precedent for future world fairs. After the Great Exhibition, the Crystal Palace un has unfortunately a sad history of its further usage. It was taken down after the closing ceremonies on October 15th and was rebuilt at Sydenham Hill in the south of London. From then on out until the year 1936, it was used for multiple kinds of events, from concerts to football matches. The Crystal Palace was still used to show off human arts. However, on November 30, 1936, a fire started at the palace and ravaged the building until December 1, 1936, when finally the fire was put out. The only thing that remained were the towers. But however, those were destroyed in 1941 in fear of German bombing during World War II because it was such a prominent landmark. It is quite sad to learn about the unfortunate end of such a masterful piece of architecture that was put on display for the rest of the world to see in London. However, it is important to note that a lot of buildings that are built for world fairs or exhibition events do end up getting destroyed after the event. This is especially the case for the Pan American Exhibition in Buffalo in which all but one building that was put up was eventually demolished, the only surviving one being the New York State Building, which has been converted into the Buffalo History Museum. It is important to remember with buildings like the Crystal Palace that even though they may have been demolished, their influence was, was still tremendous for their time. They may have just been a building, but they were used as a symbol to show strength, power, and innovation. Hundreds of thousands of people walked through the doors of the Crystal Palace from May until October of 1851, and every single person that walked through those doors witnessed a generational event that they would never forget. For years after, glass conservatories were a staple of world exhibitions. When the Crystal Palace exhibition started on May 1st, 1851, it was displaying an insane amount of exhibits with over 100,000 that were sent in by over 14,000 individuals or groups. 
it is impossible to look at every single exhibit that was displayed and analyze its meaning and why it was placed in the grand exhibition. However, this process was done by committees who analyzed and looked at every single exhibit that was to be put on display during this event, which lasted for over five months. Again, it is important to look at how many exhibits were being displayed, but it is less important to look at every single event, because looking at every single event does not give us the grand picture of what it was like being held in London in 1851. The over 100,000 exhibits truly show how committed everyone was to making sure the Crystal Palace exhibition was going to be an event that would be written down in history. Whether it was the people running the Absinthium exhibit to the people running the Zithers exhibit, these people and every exhibit in between them was marketing their exhibit to the people of London, but to the people of the entire world. When the Crystal Palace exhibition first started in London, it is key to look at the articles in the newspapers and journals of the time to really get the feel of what the vibe was during an event that was this massive and this major to not only the people of London, but to people of the entire world. The Albion, which was a journal during this time, wrote about, new, uh, wrote about news, and what they said was that it was an unprecedented homage to human industry and will be combined with a manifestation of loyalty to the throne under circumstances at once novel and affecting her majesty, will have an opportunity of judging how little her person and authority have to fear from the encouragement of the peaceful arts all over the world. Those sinister prognostications of evil, which we have lately heard uttered, will be dispelled. And a remarkable illustration will be given of the truth that anarchy and industry are incompatible terms. Now, this quote is kind of a lot to take in, but it answers a lot about the fears that may have been had during these five months in London. It is without a doubt that there were people who were scared of what would happen if you let people all around the world into one place. What would happen? Would there be mass riots and protests and calls for revolution? Or would everyone just enjoy what was being put on in a peaceful way? It is glad to see how appreciative newspapers and journalists were during this time, that the people of London had nothing to fear with this many tourists being in London during one time. The people did not call for revolution or try and start protests and riots. For the most part, everyone that walked through those Crystal Palace doors were there just to admire what was being put on display. The journalist that is writing for the Albion even calls for the Queen to not worry at all about what might potentially happen with this many people being in one building at one time. It is also important to note that the size of the Crystal Palace really dwindles the possibility of a lot of people being crowded in this one building. The Crystal Palace was almost a half of a mile long. That is enough space for people to enjoy the exhibits with enough space to move around comfortably without bumping into people all the time. Now, the Great Exhibition would go on for five incredibly successful months. I will be going into more specifics at the end of this podcast on the exact numbers that prove the success of the Great Exhibition. For now, however, I will cite a poem which was written at the end of the Great Exhibition of 1851 to show how people felt as its doors were closing for the final time. The poem uh, states, Soon will seize, yet pure and precious light, thou richly lingering yet, as in Lapland's lengthened summer, 
where the sun may never set. Let its influence live far, far more proud than Lapland, sum Lapland summer day. From its light leap other suns to gild times gladdened, brightened way. Mid unwintered fields gray time shall tread. Mid earth's new amaranth bowers where the iridiate everlastings shall paint the passing hours. Bright unwithering peace, love, faith. They there shall all unchanged remain. May the winter reign of war and hate never now be known again. This poem really displays who, what people felt at the end when the last people were walking out of those crystal palace doors. People were really sad to see this event finally come to a close. This is the same as people getting sad at the end of the Olympics. The people realized that events like these are rare and can be considered generational events. They knew that the Crystal Palace exhibition was going to have a lasting impact on the world for quite some time, and most importantly, due to the success of this event, it meant like more events like this would happen not only in London, but across the world. As mentioned before, there would be world fairs or exhibitions in New York, Paris, and Munich, to name a few cities, years after the Great Exhibition took place. These other cities knew how successful it was, so they modeled their events to be similar to the one that took place in London. The saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and that can't be truer for this exhibition. The Crystal Palace exhibition would finally close its doors for the last time on October 15, 1851, five months and two weeks after it first opened its doors on May 1st. This meant that people had ample time to come view the exhibits of the world. This is an era where it is now easier more than ever to travel across the the pond for Americans, with the inventions of the steam engine and other transportation methods that made it easier to travel in a faster amount of time. This meant that more people could visit London than what was previously thought of before. In some places, it would have taken you months to reach London if the Great Exhibition took place in maybe, let's say, 1751, just 100 years prior. People came to the Great Exhibition in masses, and when they left, they felt nothing but absolute wonderment at what they had just witnessed. They went to an exhibition that was hosting over 100,000 exhibits. With these exhibits not only showcasing British strength and industrial might, but the overall state of how much innovation was going on in the entire world. Whether it was China or the United States and everywhere else in the world, foreigners came to London to see a once-in-a-lifetime event, and their fears were quickly put away as any serious threat or violence or potential uprisings for a revolution never happened. The Queen could sleep peacefully at night knowing that her kingdom, or queendom, was showcasing its innovation to the world as the world was quite happy to be there and witness it with her. As for the influence the Great Exhibition had on Britain, it was quite a substantial one, to say the least. To quote Nigel Williams, but whilst it was a great success, exposure to international competition proved something of a rude awakening for British industry. British exhibits were upstaged by the French in terms of design flair, the Germans in terms of precision engineering, and the Americans in terms of large-scale manufacturing. Prince Albert was determined to do something about it. The Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851 was tasked by the Prince with spending the substantial profits of around £186,000, equivalent to tens of millions today from the exhibition to extend their influence of science and art on productive industry in the UK. 
the United Kingdom was not the kind of place where they were just going to sit back and enjoy what a success the Great Exhibition was. They didn't only see the success and just not and not the failures. They looked at where they were being beaten by other countries and, and invested heavily in these areas. It really was kind of an awakening call to the United Kingdom on where some of their money still needed to go. They didn't just enjoy their profits and spend it foolishly. They seriously looked at what needed to be addressed due to the foreign involvement in the Great Exhibition of 1851. The United Kingdom looked at where the other countries were beating them and invested in those areas. Whether it was France or the United States or Germany outpacing them in certain areas, they did not really care. They just looked at it as, okay, we are being outpaced in these areas. Let's address them without being bitter publicly. These events still have lasting impacts today as these as the investment in these areas led to continuing improvements in those sectors that are still seeing results from this day. I'd like to compare this to maybe like a snowball effect, that the British laid the foundation and investment for the snowball being created, which pushed it down the hill, and the continual growth of the, these investments are still being seen today. So not only was the Great Exhibition influential in that it showed the world what the United Kingdom was capable, it was an awakening call to the government that the some of the areas in Victoria and England still needed to be improved. And with that, I'm going to uh, end this podcast with a FAQ section uh, for common general questions you may have about the Great Exhibition. So first of all, how many total people attended the Great Exhibition? Six million people from across the world attended the Great Exhibition, which was about one-third of the entire British population. How much did it cost to get in? Now, this is kind of more of a multifaceted question as the price kind of varied uh, across the duration of the Great Exhibition. So in the beginning, it was obviously more expensive. It was about a pound per day in 1851 to go and see the Great Exhibition. But uh, towards the end of May, this was reduced to about five shillings per day. And then after that, it was roughly about a shilling per day, which is about five pounds today besides Fridays and Saturdays, with Saturdays being back to five shillings per day. The one shilling per day uh, admission fee was really popular among the industrial class. This is where you see the greatest numbers of the industrial class people attending the Great Exhibition. So how much profit did the Great Exhibition make? It made £186,000 in 1851, which can be translated to roughly £18.3 million today, to the rising uh, cost of inflation. Did the Crystal Palace receive any nicknames? It received one nickname, and that was the Great Shalimar. Now, with that, uh, I would like to close this podcast out. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a nice day. And to completely wrap up this podcast, I will be ending it with a fun little fact about the Great Exhibition of 1851. Did you know that the Great Exhibition hosted the world's largest diamond and it had its very own exhibit within the Crystal Palace? The Koh-i-Noor, meaning the Mountain of Light, was the world's largest diamond in the year 1851 and was put on display for the world to see. This diamond currently is housed in the Tower of London, but it must have been quite the sight to see in 1851.